Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. With your host, Dapper Data. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? You are listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. I am your host, Dapper Data. Um, as you know, I love to bring on a special guest. And this one right here, I'm telling you right now, you need to tune in, listen to the whole thing, because this person is going to blow your mind. Okay. This person has done anything and everything at a young age from a data science standpoint and is still killing the industry, making a difference in the industry, whether it's building a business in the industry of AI or just doing talks and making a, a difference and mentoring other people as well. You know, And as you know, I love talking about data. I've talked about uh, AI, right? We talk about supervised learning, we talk about unsupervised learning. We get deep into it, right? We might get a little high level, we get deep, you know, we, we touch every bit of the audience, right? But this person right here has started a company called Narrator AI, and we'll talk about it a little bit. Um, but we want to talk about data and solving problems today, okay? It might be the most, this might be the most interesting person in AI, I tell you right now, and and the importance of data preparation, we're gonna to touch on that, you know, and, and, and we're gonna also talk about should making a model be the most important thing, making a model better, right? Making it better, or should it be cleaning the data behind the scenes, right? You know, so we're gonna talk about a little bit, uh, we're, we're actually gonna to touch on all of those different topics today, okay? And so without further ado, I want to bring you Ahmed Elsamadisi. Say what's up, Ahmed. Hey, everybody. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to share. <laughs> so Ahmed is the founder and CEO of Narrator AI. Narrator enables companies to understand their customer, ask questions, and analyze data across all their systems from a single universal data model that grows with them. Okay. Ahmed has done something that is close to heart right for me right <laughs> and we talked about this before he joined we work okay if, if you don't know what we work is you know i mean from my understanding and i've i've joined we work you know probably within the past two years it's a place to for me to do telework right collaboration things like that you know it's a huge place right you know and they have good coffee too so i like the coffee <laughs> but you know he was he he, he joined WeWork as the first hire on their data team, and he built their data engineering infrastructure and, and grew the team to 40 data engineers and analysts, and even data science that we talked about, you know, scientists that we talked about. And recently, Amid was recognized as one of Forbes 30 under 30 for 2021. So congratulations to that. You know, he started his career at Cornell's Autonomous System Laboratory, building algorithms for autonomous vehicles and human-robot interaction. So Ahmed has done everything and anything you can probably imagine. We're talking about futuristic stuff, you know, and I am excited to have him on as a guest. You know, I'm actually honored, you know, so I appreciate you being on, Ahmed. Tell, tell him a little bit about yourself. Awesome. Thank you again for having me. I'm excited to share more about my story. I do love, I think my obsession is less about data, but more about how people think. I think mm. I've spent a lot of time obsessing how people think, how do you replicate how people think, and whether it was self-driving cars to like, I love dancing, so I built dancing robots from oh, nice. like AI for missile defense. How does a machine think and decide how to protect the U.S.? Because like these things are missiles are coming in super fast to like better version of Iron Man, which is how do you think about what someone is trying to do inside a suit so you can predict and correct and do it uh, eventually to how people work and buy and sell real estate at WeWork. Um, kind of a lot of interesting problems there. And then I decided to say, how do we take how we think and how we talk about data and how do we make it universal so we can actually get past the data and focus on the decisions? And that's kind of what we ended up doing with Narrator. It's like, how do you solve the data problem? We, we talked about data modeling, data cleaning, data preparation. I'll define some of these things too, just because I think those terminologies thrown around in the industry very soft, like obviously. But how do you go from like raw data that comes in your system to decisions? 
And I think we obsess over the means and we forget about the ends. Like I think we were looking at most companies have more data engineers and data um, and AI engineers than actually data analysts making decisions. We invest more in like replicating intelligence and actually using intelligence. And I think that's kind of the thing about me is just, I just obsess over thinking and how do you build something that can help people make decisions and take action? Um, and in the process, how do you solve the data problem to enable that? Now, that's awesome, man. And, and you know, it's crazy. Um, that's the reason why I got into data science. I was so fascinated with the way the human thinks, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and the decisions they make, whether it's a bad decision, wrong decision in their eyes, right? You start realizing that, you know, it could be subjective, you know, and, and then you start realizing like, man, you know, what did you think about before you made that decision? You know, did you take like five iterations, right? Or did you just say, look, I'm thinking about it, I'm going, right? You know, and so the human brain is so fascinating. You know, do you see, is that how you really got into the thought process of, you know, AI as well? Yeah, I think that like, I have given a talk before that was about why humans should think, why humans should think more like robots. And I talk uh -huh. about like what we've done to understand, to make a robot behave some way, you have to understand what a human does. So let's take a simple example. I think everyone who's listening might find this really cool. Mm -hmm. Let's say you go pick up a cup. I mm -hmm. think that when you're not in the field, you think I see the cup, grab the cup and pick it up. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, if you've ever tried to make a robot do an action, like pick up a cup, you understand that when we do it, we do it in so much more than that. We use our stereo visions, our two eyes, to create an estimate of the distance of the cup. Mm. Then, we, knowing our limbs from years of experience and training, we kind of have an estimate in our mind in this metric fake unit of how our limbs. Then mm -hmm. we solve this like really complex equation to figure out how do we get to the cup while minimizing the energy used by your muscles. No one's ever picking a cup and going like around it. You kind of go really straight. You will figure out every joint turn rotation and expansion to grab the cup with the minimum amount of energy. So we solve an energy efficiency problem. Then as we go, we kind of make a plan in our heads. Okay, go get the cup. Now notice if you go to pick up the cup from here with your eyes closed, you'll miss it. Well, because what you're actually doing with your eyes are open is that you're looking at the cup and as your hand is moving, you're recalibrating where you're going and where the cup is to your hand. Yeah. And then as you get to it, you're like, okay, I see that I can touch it and I touch it. And then I sense that I touch it. And then I have to solve another problem, which is how much pressure to put that will give me based on the material that I feel that I can pick it up. How much pressure do I need? And as I pick it up, I don't like pick it up super fast. It's like how much energy, I have to, how fast can I pick it up? Knowing the materials inside of it without using too much energy and knowing that my slipping. So as soon as I start slipping, I grip harder because I see it moving or I feel it slipping. There's like so many things that we do as a human being. And when you begin programming, you understand that you're doing the same thing, except for in a world of error. Like we as humans are constantly correcting our errors and recalibrating. Like if you try to pick up a cup that's further away with your eyes closed, you'll understand how error feels because you'll miss it by more because it's further. Because as you're doing more motion, your error is growing. So that estimate that you had at this moment where your hand is here, is getting sh shakier as you go. And that's kind of the thing that fascinated me about robots and just all computers and making decisions is that I get to appreciate so much more how a human makes a decision. Mm -hmm. And then because I've spent time replicating it. And I think we do that all the time with how we make decisions. It's like you, once you understand why someone makes a decision, like then you can replicate it with a computer. And then in replicating with a computer, you can simulate thousands of examples and then you can actually learn. I do say that my, my mentor, professor, used to always tell me, if you implement AI correctly, it should teach you something new about your thinking. Mm. And that would happen all the time. You would be like, why did you make that decision, robot? Yeah. And you're like, I told you what to do. I wouldn't make that decision. And then I, you go through the information. You're like, oh, interesting. You're right. Like, mm -hmm. I made that quick jump that way, but that was wrong because of this. Like, you took my idealized thinking and you did it. And I like, now I've learned something about my own thinking. And I think that is a beautiful moment when you can learn something from something you created. No, no, that's amazing. And, and I, I mean, you just made me think about how much thought is put into our movements on a daily basis. I mean, mm -hmm. just get out the bed. 
I probably think more than I. It's just it's so natural, right? You know, but but if we were to if we were to actually have to program it or teach a robot to do this, it takes way more than we think. You know, mm-hmm. the steps. Yeah, Amazing. and so many different problems. Like you would think about like opening a door, flipping a light switch are like harder problems than like self-driving cars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like literally harder. Like having once you start understanding like what makes things hard what makes things tactile what makes things interesting like uh, i have a baby niece she's one years old and i watch her and i like see her get up and fall get up and fall i see her legs maneuver in like wobbly ways and she's like trying to balance and she's solving the balancing problem first before she solves the efficiency problem of moving before she solves the speed problem of running faster like you see that live something as, as as simple as a jump you watch a kid like one or two years can't figure out how to jump. It's like mm-hmm. a very complex motion. And then you go program it and you're like, wow, that is a very complex motion. Yeah. For a robot to jump, like it is a tricky, tricky motion that we do. And I think that's like an interesting, um, just beauty. I think in a lot of data decisions, like I narrate wise, we see this all the time when people are making decisions, like we get to see so many different kinds of data. Like we have a standard data model that can answer any questions. So we get to work with a lot of customers and one of the things that I love to do is just give people free analyses as part of Narrator because we build templates that we can give people. So I love mm-hmm. new problems. I love people like thinking and asking weird questions. And you'll deal with like a sports company trying to optimize like like ad revenue based on like referee calls and like mm-hmm. you're like what? You're like <laughs> what is going on there? Or you see like companies like just trying to like do like just you see you learn a lot about the behavior of the world and people by just watching data and how people end up making decisions from all these sorts of different companies. And I find that like really fascinating. And then, I mean, I mean, based off of what you just said, right, the average of doing referees, I mean, you start to probably the audience that you deal with or the customers you deal with, you're probably in tune with a lot more of um, uh, problems that are out there than you could ever imagine, right? Or the way people think or correlations, right? Where you're like, how, I didn't even think about that, right? You know. They're probably educating you on some of the correlations out there. <laughs> oh, I've learned to pretty much never compare to industry. Like I've learned this interesting thing where like you can actually never depend on any comparison with the rest of the world. Like I think it's so funny. People love to say like, oh, people tend to add seven items to carts. And I was like, yeah, that's useless. Like I've just yeah. worked with enough customers that you know that every customer, every company has a unique set of customers and those customers have unique behaviors. And like when you treat them as average, you just like lose the thing that made your business competitive. Like, well, well, like oh, but... go ahead. No, sorry. No, no, I was. You just had me my mind going right there because that's that's great. I mean, that's that's amazing. Like, but how do you set like the foundation to something, right? You know, if they say, look, I don't know. You have to have an average from somewhere. I'm assuming, right? You know. So there's a really funny story that talks about like the problem with averages, which is that. They, they did, and initially when averages came out, people got really excited and it was like, they ended up building like, what's the average helmet size? Before there was like adjustable straps and everything. It was like, what's the average helmet size? What's the average shirt size? What's the average boot size? And the military built all these averages. And then they discovered that that average of all averages person doesn't exist. Like nobody is the average of all averages. So <laughs> I think it's an interesting thing to realize when you think about averages, like you think about I like to think about where you are, start tracking information over time, understand and get better from where you are. Mm. Knowing that you're below the average does not help you at all. It's like, if you're above, do you just stop getting better and just call it a day? Like if you're below, do you just like feel like shit? Like, and you (laughs) still try to get better? Like Uh it doesn't tell you any additional information on how to make a better decision. It just makes you feel good or bad based on something. And I think it's actually more distracting because then you're, panicking because you're so much below average and now you're trying to figure out what it means and the average is like who computed it like yeah. one or two outliers can throw the whole average down and then more like history <laughs> like yeah like abandoned car rate in 20 years ago is different than abandoned car rate now because people now buy and sell online 100 times more like all these things play a huge role mm-hmm. so i'm like a very very important part of the entire thing is like in thinking about data, think about your own data, think about how to make yourself better, understand what leads your customers to do something. Mm-hmm. Like if you're comparing yourself to the rest of the world, it's just like, 
it doesn't provide. I like, I really don't like companies that buy and sell data. Like I hate it so much because of that problem. I'm like, I'm like, you're selling this illusion that someone's going to get everyone else's data and find something like, no, they won't. You have the, the customer gave you their data, use the stuff that you know about them. That's clean. That's like, like it's giving you real valuable information that they given you instead of like going and buying data from these other shitty ass conglomerates that combine data. Like I see it all the time. People are like, Oh, like, look at all these places based on restaurants. And I'm like, yeah. Okay. Like, what are you trying to tell me? Like you're just dumping information and what ends up happening. It, I used to call this thing data theater. It's like the idea of just seeing data and being like, Ooh, data. Yeah. yeah. Cause they think every data is good, right? Everything is good. I'll just give me all your data and stuff. You know? yeah. No, it's not. It's really hard. Like, I once was in a room with like a VP at Microsoft and he was like, we have petabytes of data. And I was like, great. If you can figure out how to process that, then I'll be very impressed. Like, just like, like people are like, oh my God, but they have all our recording. I'm like, yeah, Amazon has recorded everything, but like fucking my echo can't figure out when I say turn off all of the lights. It's like, there's no room called all. Right. Like, we're far from that. like relax. Be like, it's just like shoving shitty data into a system is not going to help. And like, I tell this again to startups, I, I've, I've given a podcast and somebody asked me like, what data should startups focus on? And I say, startups should not use data. Like small, tiny, if you're, if you're like below series A, if you're a seed stage company, don't yeah. use data. Like don't use data. I I, build the, 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 or? No, no, no. Just like use your intuition. Like keep your core, like bottom line metrics available, like total revenue, total sales, total users, and go talk to customers. Like at a, doing data right is really hard and like doing shitty data problem with like shitty data is that you can tell yourself a story that you're like, Oh, I made a decision with data. And then you, mm -hmm. you act with so much more confidence. And I'm like, no, no. If you know that you don't have data to back your decision, then you're acting with like the right cautiousness that you're going to react properly. Mm -hmm. Like in, in my, I, in my talk about why humans should think more like robots, I talk about like robots have to understand what's known as the, their process noise. Like you, we understand like, okay, how likely, how, how, how error prone am I? Um, based on some information I come in. Like you might say like, given that I asked you a question about data, like my error on the data is let's say 10% because I'm an expert in the field. The second question that robots have to understand that humans suck at answering is how good am I at estimating my error? Mm. Everyone loves to say the number, oh, we're like 80% accurate. I'm like, great. How do you know that? Yeah. How are you able to estimate that you are 80% accurate? Like yeah. what makes you think that? Because like, Everyone who says explainable AI or something, you know, like they're, they're, yeah. they're saying, you know, explaining their algorithms that are out there. Right. You know, nobody can do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, people like, I think like you eventually get into like most Bayesian mathematics, you can understand exactly what the robot did. Like mm -hmm. I think most core Bayesian AI algorithms, you can easily understand what the robot is doing. Like you, you lose sight when you start doing like machine learning and neural networks where like they're known as hidden layers and you can't actually understand why it's making those decisions. But like you can actually understand a lot of like core AI. Like it's not really that it's the, the algorithm is logical. Like it's imitating a human being's thinking. So mm -hmm. I think that's the case, but I just do think that like we are just so bad at estimating our own error. So we're like, everyone loves to say like, oh, 80% of my time is dedicated. Like how, how do you know? Like how do you know like, I'm like, based on how many times I've seen you wrong, your ability to, me to measure your error is like 0%. Like, you're so bad at measuring your error. So you tell me 80%, but you could be 20% accurate or 100% accurate. But like, mm -hmm. you're not 80%. And I think that's the point of why data is so important and understanding, like, we're going to talk about data cleaning and we should, and we'll talk about, like, everyone loves to say 80% of data is data cleaning. Mm -hmm. It's like, who made up that stat? And what is data cleaning? Yeah. Everyone I talk to thinks data cleaning is something else. What is data preparation? What is data modeling? What is like actually the point of BI, like business intelligence? Like what are these things? Because we throw these terminology that everyone's like, oh, of course I know what this is. Like, yeah, take data, clean it. People love saying unstructured data. Yeah, right, right. What percent right. of companies using unstructured data? What do you mean it's unstructured? Like unstructured data is like printouts and PDFs. Yeah. Like, yes, there are some specific companies doing it. But if you're a company that was started in the, the, the recent 20 years, you don't have unstructured data. Like mm. that is a nuanced data science problem. And you know what you do with the unstructured data? You plug it into one of AWS's services and it becomes structured right. data. 
And now you have structured data in your warehouse. Mm -hmm. Like problem solved, unstructured data, problem. Can you build a better algorithm? Yes, you can, blah, blah, blah. But that's like a specific business. Yeah. Everyone else who's answering questions with data doesn't deal with unstructured data. Yeah, every executive loves asking, hey, does your product work with unstructured data? And I'm like, you don't know what unstructured data is. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. think that you unstructured are, data is you, know, you uh when, when you initially uh, heard the question, right? You probably was like, oh, man, you don't know what you're talking about. Hmm. Yeah, no, I have, I, there's like a million, like a hundred questions that when I hear from somebody asking me, I'm like, oh my God, like this person has like, it's like, I know why you think that because it's like the industry and we love like marketing sells. People love marketing. the marketing and like, it's so misleading. Like another thing, everyone's like, oh, I want real-time data. And I'm like, really? You want real-time analysis? It's like, yeah, I need real-time analysis. I'm like, so if I tell you like, here's a problem. And between this second and five seconds later, you're going to make a different decision, mobilize your company and change. It's just like looking at data real time sounds like a terrible idea. You're going to be like, your company's going to go bankrupt as you make different decisions. You want consistent analyses that are reliable. Guess what? Any good analysis won't change over an hour or two or a week. Like your data is not, you don't need real time analysis. Like no one has ever needed real time analyses. Real time analysis is like a, a made up word that was made up in marketing. Like, yeah, it's all marketing. Are, marketing is like that supersedes literally every bit of data engineering and technology. So if, if it doesn't matter, you know, I always would tell somebody, look, I can go from, I, you know, I've worked at NetApp or worked at Oracle, right? I've worked at these different companies. And marketing is what makes, I mean, AWS, right? Marketing is what, what, what put them ahead of Azure initially. They were the first person to go out and then they marketed crap out of their shit, you know? And then, so now you can't even beat them because they're everywhere, right? They're, I mean, every chance I get a commercial, right? This technology is AWS, right? Is they're in the government, they're wherever you're at. And I've seen restaurants that have had terrible food. I mean, terrible food, right? But their marketing made them look like they were the best thing that you can ever imagine. And I would, I would go to the restaurant because they hyped it up so much. Right. <laughs> no. And it works. And like, as a company, we sell to people, like it's so hard because I, like, I was like, I would hot hand down, put narrator against any data product out there. And like, if we can answer any question, like 20 times faster, I'll give you my entire company. Like with way more accuracy, like we would give you the right answer at 20 times faster than any company. Like I have no doubt about it. Put me 20 data engineers versus me with my with my product. Like I have no doubt that we will destroy it. Mm -hmm. But we never we never go up against products. It has never mm -hmm. been up against a product. It's up against a product's marketing story. Yeah. Like everyone's like, oh well, like Looker gives you real time data, and I'm like, no, it doesn't because your warehouse yeah. is not real time. Like. <laughs> And you go into Looker and it's like, Looker helps Coca-Cola raise a, every case that he's like, Looker helped yeah. company raise a billion dollars. I'm like, what did Looker do to help Coca-Cola raise a billion dollars? Looker is a visualization tool. Somebody decided what to visualize, how to visualize it, who to give it to, how to interpret it, how to act upon it to make money. Looker mm -hmm. did nothing. It's like me saying like, wow, this pencil really changed the world. It has yeah. helped write the constitution. And you're like, <laughs> like so you should everyone should buy my pencil you're like i don't think your pencil did it yeah like your <laughs> it's like and i think that's what happens with marketing and people who who are like buying these tools are usually like less involved with the data so they don't know the difference between like what these things are like they're just like well looker says this happens like i think we talked about it earlier the core problem that we solved at narrator is the fact that different data sources can be related because there's no joins like you can't relate two systems. Any question you ask across two systems, you can't relate it because there's no join. That's not a, a problem that most anyone who's an executive will understand. So when you're buying tools and they're like, oh, we can relate data across all your systems. Looker is saying that, saying, and then you use it and it does it. And they're like, well, you don't have the foreign key. Your systems don't have identifiers. What do you want us to do? Invent one? Like that's your problem. What's the implementation detail? Like that's, we can combine anything. If you tell us what to combine, are we supposed to guess it? And you're like, uh, no, you're not supposed to guess it. But also, like, then you can't use other sources because you failed to do that. And they're like, no, you, your data failed. You want to talk to Coca-Cola? They figured out how to join two systems. I'm like, yeah, but they spent 100 engineers on it to figure out how to join those two systems. And what did you do? Like, what, what was your contribution to this? 
So when you're comparing yeah. each other to tools, you're trying to explain to people like, here's the stuff that we add, here's the problem we solve. But like at a high level, all, all data tools are trying to help you make better decisions. So it's that, it just kind of obscures that information. So usually you don't know. No, no, I mean, you're bringing them a great point. And, you know, you mentioned narrator AI, right? And I don't, I don't think we really dove into, delve into how important it is and the difference it's making into the world. And I want to touch on that, you know, talk to us a little bit about narrated AI and, and what it's doing to make a difference and impact in the world. Yeah. So what my, what we see in the data, data space today is that we as data, like a lot of data companies and a lot of people think a lot about the tools. And we kind of think a lot about like take your data and then like you prepare like data and use DBT and then you add lineage tracking and then you add a data dictionary and then you maybe add a metrics layer and then you take your data and then you put it in a BI tool and then you take your data and run algorithms on it to try to predict stuff. And then you put a build dashboards and people leave hundreds of dashboards. Now we have hundreds of tables and hundreds of dashboards. Now data's integrity issues. Now we're cleaning the data and blah, 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 blah. So we do that. 99% of all conversations about data are about the modern data stack. And it's all about the shit here. Why did any of us get into the job of data? Like we wanted to help people make decisions. So what narrator decided to do was what if we can rethink why all the shit exists and can we build something that doesn't need all the shit? Can we still build it in your warehouse where it has access to our data, has access to all your data? Can we build a single standardized data model? We call it the activity schema, which is 11 columns that can answer any question you have. We can make it super easy to um, set up. We do it in 45 minutes with most companies. And you can, it can deal with like the shittiest of shitty data. Like it's designed for people sharing computers and messy data and seven systems and deprecated systems and backfills and all the kinds of shit data you have. We have built a system that can do that really well. And then with that one table, you can use our the narrator platform to answer literally any question. And that is, when we say answer any question, we don't mean get a table. We don't mean you end up getting a table. What we actually generate for you is once you do it, you structure your question into what we call invisible data prep, which is uh, one in two, three clicks. You can set up the table structure you need, and then you can evaluate your hypotheses. And when you press the evaluate button, you actually can choose your metric that you want to optimize, what you think, what's your hypothesis, like what do you think matters? And the mm-hmm. narrator can think through the problem. When narrator mm-hmm. generates the entire story in English written, it starts with a question, gives you whether it's actionable or not, makes a clear recommendation, like get more people to come from this campaign, like move people. Sorry, it never, never says get more. It says move people from who are currently coming instead of receiving the email that's like abandoned cart, send them the we miss you email because just shifting them will, mm. will leave the higher converge rate. And then it's like, cool, how do we figure that out? It gives you takeaways and then it writes a story. And the story reacts to you the way you do it. Like if you were to take a senior data scientist, they would probably be like, wow, that's a solid analysis. And it writes it in English. So you're reading it. It's okay, let's think about data. First of all, let's make sure that we're all looking at the same data. Here's the total numbers. It does add up to your intuition. Now yeah. let's um, think about the uh, conversion rate. Well, your business has been going on for five years. I can't use all of the data to slice and dice it because your conversion rate has changed over time. Let's get mm-hmm. the last consistent chunk. That simple thing uses a missile defense algorithm I used to like I've written. Like it's like it has to figure out like where how your behavior is changing and figure out the best consistent behavior. Then it's like let's slice and dice it by the feature and see which feature matters. Now mm-hmm. let's dimensional reduction and pick one or two features that combine will provide good analysis. Now let's see if that feature has always been the case. It's very easy in aggregation for something to stick out. Like I always draw this line in A-B tests where I do like two swimmers on top of each other. And I'm like, has anything mattered? They're like, no, I'm like, but if you zoom in this time, it's like statistical significance. So you can't just check for statistical significance. You need to check for consistent and you need to get a consistent period that is recent. Because it could Mm -hmm. be consistent in the past and now it's the opposite. And you're like, I can't use that. So now you need to make sure it's currently consistent, that it's consistently better in this group. Then it's statistical significance. And then it looks at what percent of our customers are currently coming from here or here. And then it makes a recommendation to move them. And you can then turn it live and it, and it will rerun that entire analysis and rethink through the problem every single day, week or month for you. And what I'm trying to say here is like, if you notice, like it's taking, it's making decisions, it's taking the decisions, it's applying the, the decision on the data, it's slicing and dicing the data different ways based on different decisions. And it's mm-hmm. giving you a valuable story that you can read. And the most important thing is that you get an understanding 
and an ability to take action. And then what we actually measure ourselves against is what actions you took. And did the action you take lead to the higher overall recommendation? So our analysis isn't about like, we just gave you an analysis. Cool. That's like, I don't want a fun fact. Like most yeah. people talk about insight. You can say like women convert better than men. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. Like, yeah. I sell to women. Like I'm like, I don't know. I'm a beauty product. Like most majority might be like, this is not useful. This is a fun fact. Um, so we actually give you like really actionable stuff. And what we test ourselves is if you take the recommendation we made, you can log your actions. And what we look for is did the actual overall conversion rate increase after the action in the goal you were optimizing based on our recommendation. And what we built and iterated is to build an analysis that doesn't just give the right answer, but gives the right answer in a way that you can understand it so that you take action. And I think yeah. what we've done is any case study you see and you talk to any of our customers, they'll say, narrator, yes, it's a data tool, but what it's done is it shifted the culture of the company. We're not talking about data integrity. We're not talking about tables. We're not talking about the modern data stack. We're talking about what questions we have and how we answer them and what to do about them. Like We're like all about the questions and answers and we spent like two minutes in narrator, boom, 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 get the answer. Let's go back to thinking about what we're going to do to like fix this problem and what are the right. questions we have. Like it's really just a game changing because we're able to answer questions so fast and so accurate and so in depth that people shift from worrying about data preparation and data to worrying about decisions and actions. And I think if if we succeed, which I'm like aiming for, is that every single person in the world thinks a little bit differently and thinks about the decision and we stop having conversations about data. Like we want to have conversations about decisions. We want to know about what you did with the data. We want to know about like less, like we've, a lot of the technical problems have been solved. Like I don't care about people, how much data you have. Like I'm tired of talks about like how I set up my tables and how I set up my star schema you know, how I use DBT to structure tables. No, what I want to know is what decisions you were going to make became different because of data. Why, right. what, how many analysis is your system thinking about and what can you do to make your company grow? Because right now, when you compete with Amazon, you're competing against who has more data analysts and more data engineers who can use data. Narrator is going to change that. And everyone is going to be competing about who can ask the best question and you can take the best action. Let's focus like on those search. things that matter. Like, a, uh, you know, if you, if you go into Google search, you literally, if you, if you ask it the right way, you'll get the better results, right, ultimately. And so what I see, you're, you're solving a major problem when it comes down. You're, I mean, hopefully you don't take away jobs, man, you know. <laughs> so, well, interesting question because we get that question. Oh, my, it's, I love this question because every single sale we go through, they're like, um, wait, is my job going to be lost? And then I always yeah. ask, like, like every VP is always like, oh. Like sometimes some VPs are like, right now everyone's trying to save money. So like it's a narrator is an incredible cost saving approach. But what I always ask people is like, why are you in your job? Mm -hmm. And what we often hear is no one is ever like, oh, I really just love writing SQL and like mm -hmm. building tables that no one looks at and debugging and getting yelled at by, by executives because my numbers don't match. People are like, I got in the job to make better decisions. And when data people are using like narrator, they're able to make better decisions and they appear like they really become the heroes of the company. They're not working with everyone and being like, oh my God, you missed. Here's something, here's an interesting decision you can help you. Here's something I can help you with. We end up using the data person's analytical mind to come up with even better questions than the executives. And then that analytical mind helps you understand how to actually act upon it. So then data people become like first party citizens and collaborating with people making decisions versus become like the, what I like, dashboard deliverer and query monkey where they just like get the data and dump it to you like they have a lot of good knowledge they spend years learning how to ask questions and think about data and instead yeah. they take your half-assed question and spend all their time to give you a half-assed like plot that you might misinterpret it and like that's the job of data no we are experts we are brilliant we are really good at understanding information and breaking it down and asking and follow-up questions the more you do is what ends up happening is you make the data people do that and help make better decisions. And then companies treat their data people like actually like superstars. Then they're like, oh my God, yeah, you're so much more valuable. You're making a data person to me is like an infrastructure person in code. Like an infrastructure person can make every software engineer better by setting up a better foundation. A data mm -hmm. person has the same ability and we don't do that. A data people has now always been like giving so, like they're like they're like currently they're like 
flyer printout, they give summaries, they give like instant clicks, and they let the person make the decision. But when they're able to be elevated in, as partners in the decision-making, like the decision-making becomes better. And those data people are rewarded and treated like with the respect that they deserve for helping people make better decisions. And I think everyone who's listening to this podcast, every data person we end up that ends up using narrator, they feel that way. They're like, none of them are like, oh my God, you don't make me spend hours debugging SQL? Oh no. They're like, yes, thank you. Now I get to go like work with product to like make our customers happier or I get to work with sales or I get to decrease churn or I get to make like the thing that I got into this. I work for this company because I love their mission. And now I get to actually make an impact on it instead of like being a sub, 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 sub number deliverer. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think that this opportunity, this, this company, right, this solution that you have, have built actually is augmenting, uh, or or optimizing the role, like you said, of a data scientist, right, or of a data analyst, or people who are in the trenches, you know, if you will, that's sitting there doing all the hard work, right, and who's, say somebody that, that, that that's all they do, and at the end of the day, they want to come up with a solution, or or they're working on their coding, or whatever it is, you know, they're, they're always in the trenches, and then you have your C-level exec, who is making the final decision right now, you know, you don't really need them anymore. You know, not necessarily, I'm not trying to take away their job, but a lot of times we don't get a, a lot of the, the light shined on us, right? As data scientists or people who, you know, we can make decisions as well, but we're not those folks, right? So I can just yeah. turn to narrator AI and be able to help me make that final decision, you know, based off of some of the, uh, the, the data that you have uh, collected, and so so you're 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 definitely making a decision. I'm assuming based off of data. Kind of walk me through that process, right? Because in my eyes, right, I'm thinking, okay, I can't just ask you any. Well, you're saying you you said I can ask yeah. ask you any question, right? <laughs> you know, so yeah, 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 100. And I think that you're gonna see. This. Let's play the game because I think what ends up people like we're gonna play a game. We're gonna find out that narrator is gonna help you, and I'll pretend to be narrator for now but you can mm -hmm. use our product and test it yourself. Um, right. But you'll see a couple of things happening. One is narrative can help you ask question correctly because mm -hmm. we're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not coming up with ideas for you. Like the computer is not gonna come up with ideas. Mm -hmm. You are like the person on the field, you come up with good ideas and narrative can help you evaluate it. So like, and it's gonna explain to you why narrator thinks that. So let's, let's go through an example. Pick any company and ask any question, like any, any experience you had with any company. Okay. Um... What are, so uh, do I have to pick the company first? You can ask any question. It doesn't really matter. Okay. What is the best solution for a cheeseburger with french fries? <laughs> great. Great, 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 great. So you're trying to create, so now what narrators can do is like, hey, what is like, the first thing you have to do is understand what is like the best so narrators doesn't like it's not free text it's going to try to keep create a metric so what's a good metric for you that defines um cheeseburger like the best cheeseburger we can you can oh okay all right the first uh, thing i just figured out right like there's best is not a helpful answer like we're going to optimize right. for something all right 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 so like a ju juiciness right level of juiciness in the cheeseburger uh yeah but that's what what behavior do you want Forget the burger. Like what defines the best is based on behavior. So the person who's eating the burger, they're going to come back, right? Let's uh, like a classic situation in this case in like e-commerce is like, what's the best burger? I have tw I, I sell thirty burgers. What's the best right. burger to get retention? Like, I want to know the best burger because I'm trying to optimize for a bottom a goal. So let's say retention, customers coming back and buying again. Right, right, right. So a person okay. decides to now. So I I come back every Tuesday for. The burger, right? The, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so let, let's do that. So, so what I, what I would say here is great. So, let's say, so in Narrator, what you're going to do is you're going to define a little bit more. We're going to get a little bit more. How do I know what the different burgers are? Let's say we have a skewer or, an, or like a burger name, right? We have like, I'm Burger King. I have the Big Mac. I have this burger. I have this burger. I have eight burgers. Mm -hmm. So, what I'm doing, what you're actually asking, let me, I'm going to now rephrase it in the question that you actually input in the config of Narrator, which is, Give me every purchased order mm -hmm. and how likely someone is to purchase an order again and tell me if the item of the items of the category of items burger 
which item leads to the highest retention, there's the highest uh, like repurchase rate. Mm-hmm. And what narrator is going to do is going to go, great. First of all, let me just confirm with you. Like it's going to write, it's going to, you're going to press those buttons. So purchase order, purchase order in the category burger. How does the impact of burger type or burger name? So those are the four clicks you're going to do in narrator. And narrator is going to, because it's on your warehouse, it can process a trillion rows of data. So if you're a Burger King, it works. Mm-hmm. And then narrator is going to go, great. Let's look at the data. So narrator is going to go and say, first thing it's going to do is going to be like, okay, let's make sure that here's the total number of orders that we're seeing. And you're like, right. okay, that makes sense. Like that's how much I'm, I'm agree. We agree on the bottom line of total numbers because we're going to start splitting that data. So we both, the data is not wrong. Then it's going to say, okay, how, what's just the regular repurchase rate for people in general in the category of burger? Like what percent of people are bu- buying? You might see that burger re- retention rate was like at 80% and recently it's at 40%. Because mm-hmm. I don't know, people, you released chicken and now like burger is different or the industry, an article got released by the end of the world and now burger is different. I don't care why it's happening. I care that it's happening. So now to go, okay, great. All this data when it was 60% is less helpful for me because I'm not trying to change my customers and how they were behaving in the past. I want to know right now. So let's look at mm-hmm. this. Like now we're, so I have a baseline of 40%. Narrator builds a trend. It goes, let's take that piece of data. And he goes, now let me look at all the different burgers that exist. Mm-hmm. And let me see how, based on each, based on what burger the person bought at that moment, how likely were they to come again? And you'll see like a bar graph and some of them will be better or some better, whatever. And I'll say, it'll pick one of them, which is like probably, it'll like do, it does some intelligent dimensional reduction and say, that burger right now, I think is the best burger. But let me confirm. So it picks like, let's say Big Mac and goes, Big Mac seems to get the highest retention. Then it goes, let's dive deeper. Has the Big Mac in the recent time been consistently better than all the other burgers? Not just better mm-hmm. than one burger, but let me combine all the other burgers and say, is it the ideal? Okay, mm-hmm. I've noticed that Big Mac has always, every single month, big people who buy the Big Mac come back at a rate of 56%, while people who come back, who don't buy the Big Mac, come back at a rate of 32%. We know the average is 40 Mm-hmm. So then the narrator goes, great. Let, now that I know that it's consistent, I check for statistical significance. Is there enough data in these two segments that I can confidently make decision? You go, yes. Okay, now, mm-hmm. now the narrator goes, great. So if I were to get people to go from, if everyone who's buying every other burger ended up buying the Big Mac, we would expect them to convert at that rate, the higher rate, which would lead the, bot, the average to go up to the now Big Mac rate. Right, what, right. what percent of our customers are currently buying Big Macs versus everything else? And narrator will say, great. It doesn't say shift everyone. It says, what would happen now if I shift a percent? So out of the people who are buying not Big Mac, what if I shifted 20% of them to the Big Mac? What would that lead? And it would say, it would lead to now an expected lift of your bottom line based on the proportions of 30, 10%. Mm-hmm. Like, Go ahead and test shifting people's demand from one Big Mac, uh, from not Big Mac to Big Mac. Mm-hmm. And, there, and we'll evaluate it for you as you do it. So that's like the first analysis. And you go, well, how should I do that? Mm-hmm. Well, the narrative, narrative broke down the entire analysis. Now you're like very, like notice how you got, this analysis gave you so much confidence that you accepted yeah. it now, which is way more than you would get from a dashboard. And it's all written in English. And now you're like, great, how do I do it? So then you go, great, I have a new metric I'm optimizing for. How mm-hmm. do I get the person, percent of people buying burgers? How do I get what leads someone to a percent of people to buy a Big Mac? What's the hypothesis you might have? You said, okay, repeat that again. How do you get what? What leads a person to buy a Big Mac? So, based on everyone who buys a burger, I want to look at the convert the rate of people buying Big Macs versus anything else. And what's something you might think affects someone who buys a Big Mac? Uh, maybe the size of it, uh, maybe the name, the name Big Mac, you know? Cool, cool, cool. So, let's assume that let's say it's like, let's say it's um, so let's assume it's not about the burger, let's assume it's about the name. So I'll say, okay, great. Have I have any data in history where I've renamed this item, the same item, I might've packaged it in different names. Oh, and now let me see if the name indicated that. So uh-huh. you might run, does name impact the likelihood for you to buy a Big Mac? And now I, I, I notice how I took this high level question and I broke it down to a smaller question and I can break it down to a smaller question. Yeah. And I can test that and it goes, and they're like, mm, name is not actionable. Like over time, no matter what the name was, hasn't really affected it. You might say, hmm, maybe it's the fact that it's a higher number, like, when it was a when it was number one, everyone just buys number one versus yeah. number three. Let's see if that matters. And you can be like, well, I wonder if actually number matters at all, like in any category. That's like, and we can test that. Like, you slowly are asking and answering questions, and narrator is giving you these deep analyses. And the best part about narrator is every question I just asked. <laughs> I was like, maybe it's the number of commercials. 
that would work. Check. How does the number of commercials that someone viewed impact how likely they are to do it? We can go through those and then you kind of, and that's what you do. But the best part of a narrator that I think people love is that every question me and you just asked is saved in narrator. So narrator will continue to reevaluate every question we've ever hypothesized. And in this like five minutes, we've done like four or five questions. Mm -hmm. Now imagine everyone in your company, how many questions they can come up with, and yeah. how many questions they can think of. And know that all these questions every single week, as your customer's changing, everything's changing, narrator is going to continue to reevaluate every possible question you asked and keep you informed on what's actionable and what's not actionable. And that's now you have power. Now you're not just asking questions, ideas. You ask a question and the cost of getting an answer is instant. And that question lives on in your system for you and for your company forever. That's how you build a repository of the best questions. So, I mean, this is by far one of the most amazing tools that I've ever seen or heard of in my life, you know, and I've interviewed a lot of people who have a lot of great ideas. I mean, this has got to go to the moon, man. It's, it's, it's going to make a big difference. Um, so if I, if we asked all those questions, right, say we asked all those questions being saved, are you telling me that Joe Smo, right, could possibly come in and ask something related to that? And now is is it going to mesh with that database or that, that save data is there to kind of make his problems better too? Or I mean, re result or answer Yeah, so I think it happens in like a, the, I think you're asking is like a little bit more of a nuanced question. So I'll try to answer it in a simple way. So as people ask more questions, you're, you don't, you have like a certain set of metrics, right? That you're, notice how every single thing we find, we created into a metric. So we're like, we started with like um, retention rate and then it was like percent of people buying Big Mac and da 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 da. And we're hypothesizing in each one of these metrics. And we have like the RUI looks kind of like this where you have these gold, gold metrics and you're seeing your KPIs and you're slicing and dicing them by different hypotheses and they're more nuanced and you can see how all of them is. What's happening as your customer behaves, you can also not only see how one action that you're taking could affect other metrics and how one question that you're asking actually might have more impact than someone else. And you're, so the whole, your business is, what, what we're trying to do is give you the lens into your customer. So it might be that your one question might impact customers and you might realize something else, right? You might realize that like, like, like when you think about like supersets, like it might be that the biggest driving factor, one of them turns out it's not the driving factor. Like let's say I have six hypotheses and I took an action to increase percent of people buying Big Mac. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out like my conversion rate doesn't go up. So narrative goes, oh, this one is not actionable. But while that's happening, something else might come up. And it might be that actually it turns out it's not the percent of people buying Big Mac that leads to retention. It's actually something that leads people to buy Big Macs. So let's say it's actually like you might ask a question like, does the um, item order affect uh, um, uh, increased conversion rate? So you might like get more people to buy Big Mac and you might realize that it's not actually Big Mac people who are coming back more. It's everyone who buys item one. So as yeah. you're taking actions, you're changing one and two. And this whole thing is everything you've asked is now available in data, in customers, in time, constantly being reevaluated. And that's how you end up getting those like nuances and understanding the data. And that's yeah. kind of what, what our customers will be like, oh, wow, this now I can see my business. Man, I mean, this is amazing. I have so many more questions, you know, but I'm not I'm not going to hold you. I'll ask them afterwards and we probably need to do another session, man. But. So, so when you when you look at this, right? I want to take it over to data preparation, cleaning the data, right? You know, um, and I know you said that you have some definitions, right? So we can make sure that we have a solid understanding of it, giving the audience, you know, better understanding of what we mean when we say clean the data and, and data preparation. Now, you know, should that make should we focus on cleaning? Well, I have a few questions, right? You know. Um, how important is data preparation, you know, one in your eyes? And then the second question would be when we're creating a model, you know, and I and I got this from Andrew, Andrew Ng when he was talking about uh, cleaning the data is the way to go, not really focusing on uh, uh, making the model better, right? You know, the larger the data set or whether the smaller data, it doesn't matter, right? You know, if you focus on cleaning the data, You'll get better results sometimes, you know, and not really focusing on making the model better. So those two questions I have, you know, I'll repeat them if you need me to, but yeah. what's your thoughts on those? Yeah, so data cleaning 
and data preparation and data modeling all have various meetings. So let's kind of, I'm going to kind of be very explicit. Often when we think about data cleaning, we think about within a column, does the values like, like people often think about like, okay, like in my state column, I have Florida versus FL and I want to clean it up so that all the data says Florida. So it's consistent. Okay. So that's like what people often think about data cleaning. When I think about data preparation, it's like, how do I structure my data so I can answer questions with it? How do I get a data that's like I can use to answer a question, right? So that I don't have to worry about data being wrong or missing columns or like the actual relationship of these, the things I'm looking for is actually usable to answer questions. Data modeling is how do I take that data that I prepared and put it in an algorithm that's actually trying to predict something. So it's like trying to build like a mathematical representation of the, like the customers inside my table and it can try to predict something. Right, right. So controversial opinions, data cleaning, which everyone likes to talk about, I think is like completely like often not a problem. Like in, it depends on again, your business. Like if you're using standard data tools, like if you're using Shopify and what, and like your segments and all these tools are capturing data, they're guaranteeing your data structured correct. Like data is actually values are input correctly. Mm-hmm. It is rare in modern day. In old days, it was huge because everything was free text. Mm-hmm. is really, really rare in today's age that you have like your warehouse has like, that that's a problem that you deal with. Maybe if you're like Nike and you're a huge company, like cleaning up data, like it might be you're carrying millions of years of, de- yes, that might be the case, right? Yeah. If you are like a lot of like Google and you do a lot of free text, people typing free text and you're mapping it, data cleaning might be important. In most companies making decisions, your data structured and all yeah. your critical data is already structured and it's already clean enough. So I would actually spend zero time thinking about data cleaning. Like yeah. it comes in, you'll do it as you need, maybe 10% every time. So not important. But you know, what's what's crazy is that, I mean, you hit home with a lot of uh, things right within that scenario, because if you think about like how people tend to blend, even myself, right? Uh, data preparation and cleaning, right? You know, but when you really broke it down, it is, Totally two different things, right? <laughs> you know? Super different. And I, people love to group everything as data cleaning. Yeah, and it's like yeah. a really hard problem. It's actually, and like, like so it's always data prep. Like I do think that all the problems of data are data prep problems. And we're going to talk about that. But let me just kind of hypothesize like um, data modeling, I think is completely useless for most companies until you know what you're doing. Like really rare do you need data models. I think if you can get really accurate conversion rates or just like your rate currently, like, you're good to go. And we're so bad at getting conversion rates. Like people mm-hmm. say, I'm like, I ask a question. I'm like, what's your conversion rate from people who come to your website to people who purchase? Like if you can get that number accurately, then your, your prediction should work. The question is, we don't know how to get that number. What do you can use last 30 days? What if it takes people 60 days to convert? What if it takes people right. 10 days? What last 60 days? I don't know. Well, why would you limit this like, arbitrary numbers last 90 days? Last month, what the fuck does that mean? What what happened last month was a good month. Like, wh- how do you pick a real current conversion rate on your website? I spent, I told you early on that I wrote a missile defense algorithm to figure out this exact answer. Like mm-hmm. you need to use the most data that's consistent trend, remove noise and figure out the best model that represents, here's my current conversion rate. And it turns out when you get that level, that metric is way more accurate than any shit that you're gonna get. So like any algorithm is gonna give you. I've done this more many times. So, so I, I'd like to like avoid people. Like if you're thinking about data modeling, it's like you're going down the wrong, like get good conversion rates, understand your data. If you're really doing data cleaning, like you're like, yes, it might be if you're like an Nike, but you're most companies that are probably listening to this and most companies out there in the world don't need that. Yeah. Data prep, data prep is key. I think the problem with data prep is, and I keep repeating this thing is data is easy to think about prepping data when you only have one source. Mm. No startup has one source. Your systems don't have one source. You have 50 sources. You have your email client, your web tracking, your backend, your uh, ticket system, your uh, call system, your chat system. Everything is independent. Combining that data, being able to combine that data, that is the problem you need to solve. You need to figure out how to solve it in a way that's consistent and reliable. I built the system to do this nine times in my life. Literally mm-hmm. nine times I've tried to solve this problem. And I realized that the fundamental approach that everyone uses today, which is everyone who's not using Narrator, which is called a star schema, mm-hmm. is broken. 
because it depends on these keys to exist. And when it was written by Kemble 50 years ago, everyone only had one database and it worked. But today, yeah. no one has one database. People have fragmented data and therefore that approach doesn't work. So I recommend using Activity Schema. We built it at Narrator. It's incredible. And it allows you to combine data from all your systems in one place and easy. Notice how when you asked me a question and I was answering it, we didn't think about data prep. So yeah. we kind of did data prep and I called it invisible because we thought about the customer having the experience. And by using the customer as my entity and thinking about how the customer is behaving in time, which is the core of our data model, we can actually, turns out, every question can, every data can be prepared by using customer time and actions. And that's what the data model does. It denormalizes all your data so you don't need those relation. And based on, we're using words like next as the key. Mm -hmm. And that's the point of uh, what we're trying to do a narrator here is those little things of shifting the world. So we start thinking about like your behavior and, and forgetting that. That is how you solve data prep. And once you solve data prep, everything else becomes easy. And then you can focus on decisions. So I personally believe that you should, if you're spending time, if your team's spending time doing data cleaning, like I have no idea how you got there. And like, if you're, <laughs> if like something's wrong. And if you're <laughs> buying a tool to do data cleaning, that tool is scamming you. Like, <laughs> if you're a startup, like you don't need it. Same uh -huh. with like data preparation. Data preparation is really hard. Like, because you think about like, if you start building a lot of tables and you need dictionaries and you need mappers, you need dependency models, it's just so much focus. Think about simple approach, all your data and customer in one simple, clean way. We open sourced it, copy, use it there or use narrator to do it. And then instantly prepare the data by kind of doing fancy pivots. Like that's all it is. You take data customer journey and you fancy pivot to get a table in the way you need it. Take mm -hmm. the data, analyze it. Think about how you make clean decisions, more systematic, more information, higher, like, like in a more logical human way, then start worrying about automating intelligence. Like I'm talking to you right now about giving you an analysis that when you read it, it looks like a human being wrote it. It doesn't look like any fancy like machine learning fun fact, but like mm -hmm. me and you were able to come up with an action and then go a follow-up question and go do it because we provided clean analytics. If I gave you like some fun fact and I was like, based on our low network, like 30% of people buy Big Macs, you're like, cool. Yeah, I think that's the problem, right? The problem is when you buy these tools and you use these things, your output is cool. Versus yeah. me and you give an example, the output wasn't cool. It was, oh, I have my next question. I have my next question. And I'm yeah. like actually doing and thinking and engaging with data and making a better decision. And yeah. every person in the world that I think I'm, my goal is to make everyone think about that because that's yeah. important. Technology for technology's sake, for cool, but that's a waste of time. Like leave it to people who have a billion dollars to just like, like, Everyone who's like, every big company is like, oh, I have AI to give a chat bot, shut the fuck up. Like, yeah, whatever, yeah. go do that, do that all you want. But if you're trying to make a business and you're trying to grow your business, you need to focus on the decisions. And we need to focus on the decisions that me and you were going through. Yeah, and, and, and like those big companies that can just say, cool, right? They can afford to make cool mistakes, right? You know, some of those like, oh yeah, it's cool. You know, I can just make a decision and, and they can afford to like have a mishap or not be, you know, 80% aggro or whatever it is, you know, and, you know or, or more, you know, they can say they can take the loss and they can say, hey, like I still have a win because it was 50% or something like that because yeah. they're such a big company. You can't really see the miss, the fails in there, right? Yeah. And it's marketing. Like at WeWork, we had a machine learning marketing team where it was this team that would do machine learning algorithms that were never going to be used in production, that they would just write blogs about. And it would be like, how we work, use neural networks to do this. It's like, yeah, that's like not actually what we do, but like it makes us feel great. And people are like, wow, we work so innovative. And it's like, yeah. those are marketing <laughs> endeavors. Like, those are not, like, that's not what you do to make decisions. Like, I've now, I, want, I want to see an executive once who's like, you know what? I shifted my company's business because the neural network decided that we should. It's like, no, that has never happened in the history of data. Like, yeah. And like, what you're doing is you're actually, you're actually giving true confidence in the decision-making process, right? I mean, you, throughout that process, right, you're asking the questions and all that good stuff. You're making making the person think. It gets me to the point where I say, hey, look, I believe in this more. I'm more confident in this because I, it was almost like you were the trusted partner along the way, right? Versus it being, hey, look, here you go, make the decision, right? Now I'm a trusted exactly. partner. Hey, and we, we went from the beginning to the end and making this decision. Now I feel even more confident because I'm right here with you along the, the journey. You know, is exactly. that what you're trying to give? 
Yeah, we were educating. Like the whole point of narrator is like I'm educating you and using your data as supporting yeah. evidence to help educate you and tell you your story about your customer. That's the beauty. It's like not trying to give you dashboard. It's trying to educate you. Yeah. It's treated like education. And imagine if you're education, imagine if you're in school and the teacher was like, here's the dashboard. That's how you're going to learn. You'll be like, holy fuck. Like, right. The best <laughs> teachers are storytellers. That's what you needed. We don't need dashboards. We don't need, if your teacher was like, turns out, Numbers just add up to an average of 32. You're like, cool. Yeah. Student. You would never be like, I'm not going to trust that. Sure, cool, fine. But if yeah. a teacher gave you a story about why something someone's behaving some way, you're like, oh my God, you're engaged. Um, like it is an education and it is the platform that uses, I educate you. It just happens to be that we're educating you about something that you care about at that moment with your own data. Man, I mean, look, I have a ridiculous amount of questions. I mean, I mean it's, it's been a great journey. You know, I appreciate it. Audience, as you know, I always end with what I call a dope nugget or gem and in a podcast, you know, and um, I'm sure we're going to link up again. We got to do something live. We have to do something, you know, maybe a, a talk or something like that, you know, and, and uh, at, I might have to get you out to Ghana, man, the restaurant, man, or in University of Ghana to, to go ahead and have a conversation. You know, I might take Narrate AI and, and implement it with the restaurant. That seems like a good opportunity to implement into yeah. restaurant as well. I mean, so many options, so many different um, ideas that I have coming from my conversation. But what I want to end with is that, you know, I've learned so much from you. I appreciate it. And when you think about, you know, uh, so many people uh, tend to, to jump the gun when they think about something like you touched on before, just picking up a cup, right? You know, it, and there's so much more to it, right? So appreciation of the stuff that is developed is key, you know, and 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 I, I really enjoyed the conversation when we talked about there's a true difference between prep and cleaning, right? You know, because even myself, who, you know, has been in data science for a long time, has actually, or enough, and, you know, doing the doctoral degree in data science, I'm still intertwining the two, right? I'm still bringing the two together. It's probably a common thing, you know, but I but I know a lot of people out there, data scientists out there, you know, do not mix the two. Listen to what Amit is saying. This is this is a great great opportunity to educate yourself and grow. You know, is there anything that you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, I'll leave the audience with um, when you're making a decision, focus on like a simple getting the core metrics that you need accurately. I'm like, don't get distracted by all the shiny shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was listening to a talk and the talks thing, and I'm actually going to reuse it. I don't remember who who's wrote it, so this is not my word here. But they wrote, they said, choose boring. Like, don't choose shiny, big things. Choose something that's simple, boring, but works really well. And I think that's like the beauty of something that is um, well thought out. Yeah, yeah. Boring gets the job done. You know, put it simple. You know. Um, yeah. All right, time to have some super super fun. I had a lot of fun with that, but. You know, uh, we have some of the novice audience out there and I want to let them know that we're not always just typing code all the time, always thinking about the business. So we we think about things like ice cream. Right. We do care about we have thoughts about ice cream. We have thoughts about sports. Sometimes we may have thoughts about, you know, uh, bread. I don't know, you know, whatever it is. And so I wanted to play a game okay, called overrated, underrated. It's a quick game, about 30 seconds or more. Um, and basically, I asked you a series of topics, right? I said, hey, look, you know, here's the topic. Maybe it's ice cream, maybe it's cheese, whatever it is. And you get to decide whether it's overrated, underrated, or right where it needs to be. This is a game I got from Gary V, a motivational speaker that I follow. And um, are you ready to go? Let's go. All right, okay. Croissants. Underrated. Underrated. You love croissants? I do love croissants, especially on oh, croissants. Like good crispy croissants, just buttery on the inside. Oh, yeah, the butter, man. Oh my goodness, man, buttery inside. Really I, mean, I will, I will eat about two or three of them from Starbucks, man. Alone, just, just. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, give me That's some so croissants, man, and it's over, man. You know, maybe on a biscuit, maybe like a croissant with uh, egg and cheese or something like that. You know, oh, mm -hmm. you know then they have the other ones, right? Like like with peanut butter in it or some chocolate or whatever. I'll eat them all, man, you know. <laughs> all right. The printer. Overrated. 
like over it. <laughs> you sound like me. Then. That's like what? Use the but believe it or not, there's a lot of people who say, "Man, it's nothing like that paper in your hand," you know. And I'm yeah, I, I'm a notebook person, but like printing it, it's like yeah. write it down. Like, come on. Oh my goodness! If somebody tells me, I mean, any for some reason they find a way to utilize a printer, and I have to have a printer in my office just for them because those people, you know, they they force me to print something out, man, and it blows my mind, you know. So. Good time. <laughs> All right. Um, brunch. I think it's right where it needs to be. I think people like it. Some people think it's overrated. Some people like it. People who like it like it. I think it's fine. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right. You currently are from New York, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, you know, as it being the Big Apple, right? You know, the Broadway performances that are in New York. Oh, underrated. They're great. They're really great. Like I've seen, like I'm a big Broadway fan, and like I think that if you haven't seen it, like whatever you're imagining is just like a magical experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. You know, I mean, I I have been to see a few shows in New York, and I mean, I love it. You know, I I I would not. It's an experience you have to witness yourself, right? You know, because mm-hmm. you know if you're sitting back, you're not really going to understand it. You know. Okay, uh, two more. All right, snow. Awesome. Overrated. I'm like, I don't know why. <laughs> you're like, I hate Texas now. We don't have snow. <laughs> you know, you're awesome now, but you were in New York, yeah. man. Wild out there. I don't, I don't like it back then either. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the subway stations. Subway stations? Yeah. Or subways in general. Subway. I mean, subways in general are underrated because they're really cool. Uh-huh. subway stations i think they're underrated i think where they are is pretty magical like i think people the amount of thought that goes into where to put a subway station is pretty incredible so i would say it's underrated okay okay all right all right man well audience thank you for listening to data is my science podcast the show to make data your passion i am your host dapper data Ahmed, it's been a pleasure i really appreciate you being on you have educated the audience in so many ways they are going to love this podcast i promise you definitely reach out to them uh, is there anything, uh, uh, well, first, you know, how can they reach you? Yeah, if you can just follow me on Twitter, AE4, the number four, AI, or on LinkedIn. Um, I like to post a lot of stuff about data. So if you like what you heard here, go there, follow me, and I'll share more. Yeah, definitely. And is there anything coming up, any conference, any book, or anything like that that you want to share? Uh, actually, not right now. Oh, well, let's just <laughs> I will post about it when it happens, I promise. Right, right. Well, definitely check out his website, right? The narrators.ai, you know, the, the website, you know, I went on there and, um, you know, it's, to me, it's amazing. You know, the company is is amazing. You heard it, you know, right here on the podcast. You know, thank you again for being on there and audience. Uh, you always can reach me at Mr. Dapper Data on any one of the social media platforms. And definitely check out my book, uh, Mr. Dapper Data.com uh, forward slash Dapper Book. All right. Like, thank you all. Love you. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion with your host, Dapper Data.